God knows you personally, intimately. He knows everything about you, and he wants to speak to you in a way that you could understand him. How many of you know God speaks in all different ways? And he knows how to speak to you. How many of you, you have different, you have children, and every one of them is different. And, and some of your children, you could just look at them, and they'll fall in line. Others, you'd have to scream, yell, throw things. No, not throw things, but you know what I mean, right? They, they listen, and they comprehend in different ways. And so it is with us. Some of us need uh, a two-by-four across the head. Get our attention. Some of us need just that little, that little glance, that little still small voice. So I just want to believe this morning that God is going to minister to you. Please hear the word of the Lord. Uh, I don't want you to hear me. I don't want you to see me. I want you to hear and see God this morning. Amen. If you open up in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Those of you that are at home, I trust you get your Bibles out. I trust you stay focused and stay engaged. Because I can see you. We got reverse cameras here. All of you that are tuning in, I can see you. No, just kidding. Someone just jumped out of bed, fixed their hair. I've entitled my message this morning, and again, leading up to the um, very, very significant, and I want to make it such this morning. But entitled my message, What Christmas Meant to Paul. What Christmas Meant to Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 17. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ, might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So what did Christmas mean to Paul. Understand that every theological truth of the character of God, every spiritual breakthrough comes in the context of real life, real circumstances, real issues. Why do I say that? Because we tend to see things in overly romantic or dramatized or photoshopped images. Think about it. When you look at a Christmas card and you see 
Jesus in the manger. The air is clean and crisp. The snow is freshly fallen. The animals look like they all just got out of a spa. They're clean. They, they look so pretty. Um, even, even the angel, even, even the, the cattle, even, even the animals have halos over their head. And we tend to see things in that context. But again, that's not reality. That first Christmas, the barn stunk. Hello? The animals were dirty. Jesus' very crib was a feeding trough. That was where animals ate from. And, and I don't know about you, but animals drool. Animals make get messy. That was, that was the context. There was nothing uh, uh, pristine, uh, neat, or nice about where Jesus was born. And you see, we tend to view things from those religious eyeglasses, if you will, those religious, uh, uh, overly idealistic perspective. But the reality is, Paul... In this passage of scripture, he reveals what Christmas meant to him. And really, it's, it's the biblical meaning of Christmas. See, Paul sets the Christmas story, if you will, in the context of his sick and sordid past. Again, real life, real issues, real stuff. Because that's where we live, amen? Amen. That's where we live. For Paul, it was sin, it was pride, it was wrong choices that had locked him in a prison of guilt, condemnation, fears, and a false belief system. Do you know what you believe will lock you in, will limit you if it's faulty, if it's wrong, if it's, if it's a lie, it will captivate your mind and it will affect how you live your life. And that's what Paul had to deal with. Just like you and I. But when he met the Christ of Christmas, all that changed. Let's, let's let Paul tell his story in verse 13. He says, I was formerly a blasphemer. The word blasphemer is one who injures with his words and insults or speaks lightly of sacred things. I was a blasphemy, blasphemer. I was a persecutor. One who causes someone to flee, taking every opportunity to assault and if necessary, annihilate. I was a violently arrogant person. One who mistreats others with pride or an insolent attitude. That was Paul. That was Paul's testimony. Acts chapter 8 verse 3 says, Saul, that was his name before it was changed to Paul, Saul made havoc of the church, entering homes and dragging off men and women to prison. Acts chapter 9 verse 1 says, Saul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
He also goes on to say in Acts chapter 26 that he shut up in prison, consented to their deaths, compelled them to blaspheme, and he was exceedingly enraged against them. Here is Paul. He's bound by pride, and he's blinded by his anger. He's imprisoned by his fears and his self-righteous pride. So the question is, what does Christmas mean to Paul? Look what he says in verse 15. Again, in the context of him giving his testimony, sharing his life, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did Jesus come? That's it right there, very simply. He came into the world to save sinners. And Paul would go on to say, of whom I am chief. So number one, what did Christmas mean to Paul? Number one, your past can make sense. Praise God for that. Your past, no matter how crazy it is or was, no matter how sinful it was, no matter how uh, messed up and how hurt and broken you were, your past can make sense because of Christmas. Paul would say, I am the chief of sinners. I'm the chief of sinners. Here Paul is reflecting not only on his past, but he even sees himself in the light of God's countenance, in God's presence, and he realizes that he's still nothing. You know the closer you get to God, the more you see your nothingness. The closer you get to see the holiness of God, the more you see your own unholiness and the need to change, the need to repent, the need to adjust to his holiness and his righteousness. But we see something here that's pretty cool. Paul is doing some reflecting. Do you know that reflection is an essential element in spiritual growth and development? Let me say that again. Reflection, reflecting, thinking about, meditating on, uh, getting a perspective in the light of God's presence of where we are at is an indispensable part of spiritual growth and development. What I have found is people don't necessarily like to be introspective or to take time to reflect. But it's critical. Paul right here in this passage of scripture, he's, he's bearing his heart. He's saying, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a, a, an injurious person. I was the chief of sinners. He's doing some reflection. Paul is being honest. He's being vulnerable. He's really being sincere. Do you know that a lot of times when we come to church, we not only uh, try to put on our Sunday best on the outside, but, but spiritually we try to put on our Sunday best. How you doing? How about that song? I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Hey, I'm fine. But I'm not. Have you heard that one? Is that Matthew West? Kind of interesting. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. But I'm not. That's what we do. We come to church 
And, and even when we get together with other Christians, there's not that gut level honesty and sincerity. There's that pride that causes us to say, yeah, I'm fine. How you doing? I'm fine. Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. How many times they say in that song? But I'm not. You see, reflection enables us to recognize the sin in our life, but also open up our eyes to the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. Why can we be vulnerable in God's eyes? Because we know he loves us. We know his grace is everlasting. His mercy is everlasting. So we could be vulnerable. We could be honest in the reason why we are not with people because we're afraid that they'll judge us or that they'll, they'll, they'll push us away or they'll not accept us or they won't, they'll look at us differently. But you know what? It's important that we take time in our own lives to do some reflection. Paul did it and it brought freedom, and it brought liberty. You see, the devil works in secrecy and in silence. And the devil wants to make you think you're the only one going through that. But you know what? That's really pride. You know, we look at other people, well, oh yeah, they can worship, and they don't know what I'm going through. Oh, the pastor's got it good. Uh, he don't know what my problems are. That's pride. You think you're the only one. You think you've got it the worst. It's not true. The Bible says the same sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood in all the world. Go to Nigeria. Go to Nigeria where, where Christians are being slaughtered by Muslims and being attacked in their churches and being burned. They've got a reason to say, you don't know what I'm going through. But we're not, we're not even close to that. But when we come to church, we need to understand we can worship God and we can be sincere and honest because we're not competing with one another. Amen. We're not in this, this competition with other people. We're here to complement one another, not compete with one another. The Bible says they that compare themselves among themselves are not wise. But here, Paul, he understands because of Christ's coming that his past can make sense as he, as he reflects. You see, this is so critical. You know, we're going to partake of communion. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You see, where there is no honesty and no humility, there can be no help. Let me say that again, where there is no honesty and no humility, there can be no help because God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. You see, when you're like that, you become blind to your own, your own sin, your own fault, your own failures. It's always somebody else. It's always somebody else. Why are you leaving the church? Well, it's so-and-so did this to me. It's the pastor's fault, so-and-so. Oh, really? People are saying that about you as you're going out the door. The reality of it is we have to take responsibility for our own self, and that's why this reflection is so important. We're leading up to communion. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. And let him eat that bread and drink of that cup. Let there be examination. The Lord didn't say examine your neighbor. Think about your neighbor's problems. No, he said examine yourself. Himself, herself. Do some spiritual examination. You know what the best examination is? Is the word of God speaking to our heart and speaking to our life. The best form of examination is to bring the word of God to light in our hearts. You see, Paul had a horrible past. There was regret. There was guilt. There was a sense of hopelessness, failure. He was a broken person. Don't you think even after he was saved, he could still have in his mind images of Stephen being stoned that he gave consent to, the Bible says? that others he dragged off into prison, others he might have murdered or been, been consenting to their murder. Think of the, the things he had to battle. But he understood that his, his past can make sense because of the grace of God. This morning, God's grace wants to come to you as we remember him, as we examine our hearts. Not only that, but number two, what did Christmas mean to Paul? Your present can be significant. Your present can be significant. Look what he says in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. Another translation says, strengthen me. In spite of his past, his present was significant. You know, the reality of it is we all have a past. Turn to the person next to you and say, I have a past. Known and unknown fully. And as we study the scriptures, we learn of Paul that he would be imprisoned several times for his faith and commitment to Jesus Christ. But do you know when he was in prison, he was more free than his captors. When Paul was in prison, he was more free than those that were standing at the door or at the gate of his prison cell. He was free. They were bound. Before he met Christ, he was imprisoned. He was bound in his mind and in his heart. But when he met Christ, he was set free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Set free. We can be bound by so many thoughts. We can be bound by so, many, so much faulty thinking. I told you the story. It's a true story of a, of a dog that, that was pregnant with puppies. And this dog was, was hit by a car, and both of its hind legs were crippled. And as time went on, this dog with crippled hind legs gave birth to several puppies. And as the puppies grew and developed, they looked fine, but as they started to walk, their, la- their hind legs would drag on behind them. And the owner was concerned, went to the vet. The vet checked them out, concerned that maybe in the accident that they were affected 
by the, by the accident and, and there was nothing wrong, nothing physically wrong. But you know what? Those little puppies watched their mother walk and drag the hind legs and so that's what they began to do. And sometimes in life, we could be limited in our minds by what we saw growing up, what others did, how others live, what others have done to us, and we can walk with a limp that God never intended us to walk with. Who told you that your hind legs were broken or your hind legs were limited? God didn't tell you that. The enemy tried to whisper to you that you'll always be second best. You'll never make it. But look at Paul the apostle. After all he did, after all of the hatred and the terrorism against the church, God would use him to be one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. That is the power of the cross. That is the power of the blood of Jesus. That same cross, that same blood can change your life today. Can cause you to overcome. Can cause you to be victorious. Can cause you to be fruitful and have a life that is significant. Set free. Reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians you have your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look what the Word of God says. We're talking about significance in the present. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to, him, to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Our lives have significance because we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. Not everyone will preach from a pulpit, sing from a platform, go on the mission field, be a missionary. Not everyone will do that. But you know what? Everyone is called to be a minister of reconciliation. Everyone is called, no matter what their career is, no matter what their socioeconomic status is, no matter what their educational level is, no matter what their situation is, our lives can have significance because God Almighty has called us to be ambassadors for him. Think about that, an ambassador. Imagine being an ambassador for the U.S. government or for some government and you travel to other countries and you have the backing of your government. You and I have the backing of the government of heaven. We are ambassadors for God. We are ambassadors. We are ministers of reconciliation. We have a ministry to help reconcile people to Almighty God. You know, that ministry of reconciliation could happen in very practical, simple ways. Just reaching out to people, just being kind. Just being um, relational, even in church, there's a couple that comes to this church and I see them all the time. I'm just so blessed when there's a new person, a new couple, they are the first ones to gather around them and introduce themselves and talk to them. What are they doing? They're being a minister 
of reconciliation. There being what people are going through when they come into the house of God. They might say, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. But they're not. And just by saying how you're doing isn't going to do it. Taking the time. And this same couple has taken people, first-time guests, out to lunch after church. How cool is that? Being a minister of reconciliation. Some of you have faulty thinking right now. You're saying, why didn't they take me out to eat? That's the wrong mentality. The mentality you should be having is, who can I bless? Who can I minister to? Who can I help? We were listening, Pastor Mike and I, and our wife's a, a preacher on, on a YouTube, and they were talking about, you know, just blessing people. Not just buying one item, but buying two items to give one away. What is that? That's being a minister of reconciliation. You see, Paul, his life wasn't always glamorous. Many times, we, again, we look at the scriptures through these rose-colored glasses. We don't understand Paul's life. We talk about the apostolic ministry. You know, I remember being in Africa and one of the pastors teaching in one of the seminars was talking about, um, you know, how, how some, some pastors or some leaders in the ministry, they're so insecure, they have to have all these titles. And when he first, he saw the brother, he said, how you doing, brother? He said, point of correction, I am pastor. <laughs> and then a few months later, he met him, hi, pastor, point of correction, I am bishop. A few more months later, this is nowhere to lie, a few more months later, Hello, Bishop. Point of correction. I am now apostle. God help us. See, for Paul the apostle, it wasn't glamorous. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was in prison. But he was so secure in who God made him to be, it didn't matter. Even in chains. Look at this. Look at, turn with me to Acts chapter 26, and I'm almost done. Acts chapter 6. You heard that. I said, I'm almost done. Don't get too. <laughs> Acts chapter 36. This is Paul testifying before King Agrippa, and he said this. Acts 26, verse 26. For the king before whom I also speak knows these things, for I am... Uh, I am confident that none of these things escape his attention since the thing uh, was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do believe. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. That's a whole other sermon, but that's not my point. Uh, verse 29, Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today, both might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. That was almost like Paul saying, you know what? What's really important that you come become like I am. I might be in chains, but I'm really free here. You're the ones that are bound. You see, Paul had such security. It wasn't about, he was in prison. See, you could put Paul in prison, and you know what? He's going to write half of the New Testament. My God, you couldn't stop him. What an attitude. Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. I can't do anything. I got this going on. I got that going on. You know what? Sometimes God allows us to be in a restricted or limited place so that he can do something greater so that when it's done, it's not of you, it's of him. 
Paul writes half of the New Testament, most of it, well, not most of it, but much of it in prison. Scriptures that will bless the church, scriptures that will form Christian theology for the ages. See, Paul understood the meaning of Christmas, and lastly, and I'm going to close with this, your future can be secure. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says in verse 16. However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. You see, that's what it's really about this morning. He understood that the end game was eternity. The end game is everlasting life. You see, Paul knew that in Christ he had a secure future. His life was in God's hands. His life was an example to others of the hope that he had. No matter how sinful, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. God would show a pattern or be an ex- use his life as an example to others that if he can be forgiven, if he can be restored, God can do that for anybody. God can do that for any, anybody. Nobody is beyond the reach of the grace of God. Today, in the remembrance of communion, we see the amazing truth that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we have God's amazing grace lavished upon us. Paul experienced such grace, patience, and forgiveness, and he realized that it wasn't just for him, but it was for others as an example or as a pattern. Paul had such a humility I want us to partake this morning and I want to believe that the power of Almighty God will be released in your life today. That the grace of God will minister healing so that your past can make some sense. I have seen God turn some things around. When I first got saved, I had some questions. I had some things, my my family past, my own past, and I said, God, how can you make sense of that? God, I wish I didn't have to go through that. God, why did that have to happen? But I see now that if it wasn't for that, I don't know if I'd be here today. God is in control of your life, and as we sang this morning, he can give, he can turn graveyards into gardens. He could turn, turn your mourning into rejoicing. He could turn your, 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 your worst place into your stomping ground. He can do it this morning. Would you take a moment right now just to prepare? We're going to partake together. But if you can just get it ready, sometimes it takes a moment. The Bible says, let a man, let a woman Understand in the scriptures when it uses the word man, it's King James language, and they use that as a, a term for all of mankind, men and women. But let a person so examine themselves. I want you to take a moment right now. Just bow your head. See, what this does is it confronts us once again with the reason why Jesus came. You know, Jesus came not to be the center of a holiday on December 25th, but he came to save sinners. 
He came to save you and I. This morning, if you need to repent, if you need to ask God for forgiveness, this is a golden opportunity. We examine ourselves. We put aside pride and accusation and the victim mentality today, and we say, Lord, what is my responsibility? We become self-aware in the light of the cross that his blood was shed because I sinned, because I'm a sinner. So let God just speak to your heart. If there's areas you need to ask God to forgive you, if there's secret sins, bring them, bring them into the light of his countenance. God already knows about them. Ask God to forgive you, and then pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from all evil, whatever, whatever subtle form it comes in, however, however benign it might seem, however small it might seem, Every sin is a step in the wrong. We do take that moment to examine our hearts. Lord, speak to every life this morning. Draw us closer to you, God. Forgive us. Forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us, Lord. We remember you this morning that you died for our sins to take them away and to set us free. Lord, set your people free from every uh, sin, all wrong thinking, set us free from every lie of the enemy today. Let us walk in the light of your countenance, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Jesus took the bread, he broke it, gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember the Lord. Jesus also took the cup, and he said, this cup is the cup of a new covenant. It's a new covenant purchased uh, through this, my shed blood. So we remember that his blood was shed for us, and nothing can wash away our sin. Nothing can make us whole again but the blood of Jesus. We remember that, we receive strength, and we partake in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together with me this morning and just in one moment of time as we bring this gathering, this service to a close, would you take a moment as, as you have done some reflection, now would you give God thanks? Would you thank him for his goodness, his grace, his long suffering, his patience? God has been so, so patient with me, so patient with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. We are grateful this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Because of Christ, we, we can make sense of our past. We can be secure in our present, and we can, we can have that, that confidence in our future, God, that you are in control, God. Father, thank you today for your church. Thank you for your people. God, I pray a blessing over them. God, release the power of your spirit, Lord. May we walk in health. May we walk in wholeness. May this day, God, be a day we see the exceeding and abundant provision of God in our lives. Lord, we thank you for it. We believe it and we say amen in Jesus' name. Yes, amen. God bless you. God bless you.